Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. Oh, that's a long way. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! It What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson and Mr. Mike Randall. It's March, baby. What's going on, gentlemen? I am licking my wounds from trying to ride the North Florida Osprey all the way to the end of the A-Sun finals. It just didn't work out for him. Illinois, Chicago. Keep it going, guys. Get to the window back-to-back nights, okay? Uh, North Florida, I had a future on them devastating. They they had a bad turnover up three. Lipscomb hits a three. They have the ball with like 40 seconds. If they get a rebound with 20 seconds left and shoot a three, it was wide open, but they could have held for the last shot in a tie game with a chance to go to the competition. They miss, and uh, Lipscomb hits a floater as uh, pretty much as time expires, and they will face, I think Liberty held on like 20 to 18 or something. Liberty in the... Atlantic Sun Championship. As I said, it is March. It's the most beautiful time of the year. We have conference tournament action all weekend and other important non-conference tournament action. And that'll lead us into the major conference tournaments next weekend. We'll have podcast episodes for those next week. So more to come on that front. We'll talk about some of the conference tournaments that start this weekend. But let's uh, cover the week that was and and rant a little bit and just cover the things that happened. I'll mention a few of the the marquee takeaways. Uh, Kansas continues to be the best team in the country to me. They've pulled out a couple of close wins lately, but they're they are, they're still winning. And these are games that others are losing, right? You see Kentucky, who just had an inexplicable home loss to Tennessee, and it wasn't any shooting variance or anything. Uh, so that and you know the SEC in general is turning into a Big clusterfuck. Bama loses at home to Vandy. Uh, you have LSU dropping more games. Auburn loses at home to Texas A&M. Uh, you know, Florida finally gets it done on the road. And I had this great spot all set up for Florida at home. And I still might go to them against Kentucky. But then Kentucky loses to Tennessee. You know, Florida then wins on the road. And it's – so I don't know if we're going to get as much value in the spot. isn't as juicy. But as of right now, I have Florida ranked as a number two – team in my power ratings in the SEC behind Kentucky and you know behind them is Auburn and LSU LSU continues to not defend um and then you know you have Arkansas who's surging a little bit Con, I'll get your thoughts on Arkansas in a second the other couple things I wanted to mention Marquette fading as we've talked about on this podcast the last two weeks I mean just an awful loss to DePaul without Reed you lose to DePaul um and then Dayton is for real people uh, that offense, with the best two-point offense in the history of college basketball as of right now, uh, and they, you know, they looks like they were sleeping a little bit for a couple conference games, but you know, they obviously Rhode Island had their attention and they came out and just stomped them, roadkill Island. And then I, I think one of the biggest storylines the last two weeks is Michigan State. They've figured it out. You have you know Rocket Watts and Aaron Henry are now 
starting to come into their own. You know, they got a huge win at Maryland. They back it up with another win at Penn State. So that's kind of my recap of the week that was. Should be a great March. Uh, Randall, I'll throw it to you. You want to hit on any of those and anything else you want to mention? Yeah, Rocket Watts and Aaron Henry have gone from who are these guys and are they really good to, oh yeah, they have Rocket Watts and Aaron Henry. And that's what Michigan State does. They're back. They're one of the few teams that have a spectacular point guard, a great coach and a system. And so they look like they're back to where they should be. They should have been buried against Penn State. This is the Michigan State team from like three weeks ago. They don't come back in that game, but that was a real nice comeback. Overall, for me, the week was pretty good. Thank you, Kihei Clark, for making two free throws with five seconds left. Definitely a questionable foul, but I don't really care. I got it at uh, UVA minus one and a half. He hit two, so they won that. Virginia, folks, 5-0-1 their last six games, seven wins in a row. Also worthy of note, they're back to the under Virginia that we know and love. Three unders in a row, over-under differential of negative 54.5 total points. Devontae Green did a nice job with a free, three, free throw for me to get me past Minnesota. Bet regret, the one that frustrates me, how did I not take Gonzaga at home versus St. Mary's after the loss at BYU and take the over? Uh, Gonzaga is now 25-6, and six, guys, to the over. 80.7% of their games have been over. Now 12 of their last 13 games as well. The one that really was frustrating to me, the SMU one. SMU up 24 points, 50 to 26 at home with 14 minutes left in the second half, and they lose to Wichita State. 66. Doesn't have a great offense. Doesn't have a great offense. Guys, that's a 40 to 12 run at home you give up in a conference game. Just unbelievable. Yeah, well, one thing I'll say about Virginia, look, I'm not buying any of this fucking hype with Virginia. They've now won seven ga- their seven-game winning streak. Uh, by a total of 26 points. That is the lowest combined scoring margin for a seven-game win streak in the modern era of college basketball. Uh, I just don't buy this offense. I don't buy, I don't buy relying on Jay Huff hitting threes. Uh, Virginia is just a, a fade team for me because people are starting to be like, oh, Virginia, they're back. I'm not buying it. I do have to shout out South Alabama as well. Um, they continue to cash for me. They get a, a triple buy into the semis, so the Sun Belt. I'll be riding them in the belt. Don't let the ladies come between you and the belt. Oh, yeah, the other baffling loss that I wanted to mention, they, now they've recovered, is Creighton. That's what can happen to Creighton. If their shots just aren't falling, the defense is, oof. And they give up 91 and lose to an undermanned St. John's team. Um, and then Purdue looks like it's kind of coming into its own. It picks up a big road win at Iowa. Uh, you know, it's a team that's just been so anemic on the road. If they can figure it out away from Mackey, that team is dangerous as well. Colin, uh, I'll throw it to you, but starting with your hogs, where do you think that they stand right now? What are your thoughts on them this Saturday with a huge game for their tournament chances? Yeah, well, it's a huge game anyways because Arkansas needs this win over Texas A&M to secure a 10 seed. 10 seed is the magic number that you need in the SEC tournament to get a day one bye week and head into day two before you would get into the quarterfinals. So it's an extra day of rest. Uh, you could argue that Arkansas needs more wins, although they wouldn't be quadrant one wins, but they, they need every win they can get, especially when you tweet it out. Like, is it impressive to beat LSU? It's impressive for us to get a quadrant one win when we only had two. So, you know, we've got everybody back at full strength. Mason Jones. 
Mason Jones is shooting volume from anywhere he wants. Isaiah Joe is back. It's pure muscle and ball. Like we're going to run it up and down the court as fast as we can, shoot threes as fast as we can. We have no inside presence whatsoever. Uh, we have a bunch of guys, six, seven and under trying to do rebounds. And, you know, it, that that's typical Arkansas basketball. And if you're going to let Mason Jones have one-on-one and let him shoot from anywhere, then there's going to be games like that, which made the over pretty easy. I mean, they've, they've been an over machine for us, uh, especially when Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones are healthy. So looking to beat Texas A&M, I think they'll be pretty motivated. Uh, it was the first conference game they had this season, beat them by, I think, more than 10 uh, to start off the SEC conference games. Uh, so I'll definitely be backing Arkansas here. You know, the Texas A&M defense, they allow a ton of threes, which could play into more than – they allow their opponents to shoot 50%. Uh, of their shots from three it's that's the worst or the highest in the nation but the one thing that's that kind of is unfortunate for Arkansas is this win isn't going to count for much but it's against a team that's playing really well right uh-huh. so it's a Texas A&M team it's not gonna be a quadrant one win but there's a team that played that just won at Auburn you know they we, they played Kentucky tough they beat Miss State they won at Alabama um, they beat Georgia's Buzz Williams has this team peaking. So it's kind of uh, an unfortunate situation for Arkansas where like you, you win and it's, it's, it's all, you only can kind of lose in this game. Right. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm kind of keeping my eye on is what Alabama's doing with Missouri. Now, Arkansas wants the 10 seed in the sec tournament. So they need to win this game. But if they win and Alabama loses to Missouri, which shouldn't happen, but it could happen. Arkansas could move up to the nine seed, which directly puts them in the path of Kentucky. Now they don't want that. They would rather much have Florida in the quarterfinals than having than have Kentucky because that's that's not going to be you know their their path to getting to the SEC championship or getting more quad run wins is going to be limited. I think if they run into Kentucky, so uh, it's interesting to see if Bama is going to take a loss to get out of that eight nine seed, maybe fall into a ten. I'm not saying they would purposely throw the game against Missouri, but there's nothing on the line for them to to win this game against Missouri. So my eyes are definitely on Alabama and what they're going to do this weekend because it affects Arkansas and who's going to be seated right into that Kentucky bracket. It's pretty important for SEC tournament. Randall, anything you want to add? Yeah, listen, I think Arkansas is dangerous. I think they're very dangerous in the SEC tournament. They're one of the few teams in that cluster there that when they're healthy, and they are now, offensively and defensively, the metrics look really strong. Sure, they can score. They put up big-time points. I mean, three games in a row now, 86 points, 89 points, 99 points, but they defend the three. They're the number one team in the country at defending the arc. That is absolutely critical. Mason Jones is flammable. They are a very dangerous team in the SEC because you have Kentucky, and then everyone else is bunched together. I, he complains so much. Every every shot goes up. If there's anybody within three feet of him, he goes to the refs. Let's just make some shots. You know, you see him shoot a three there at the end of the game, kicking his leg out and getting a little bit of contact. I mean, he'll do anything he can to draw contact and complain to the refs. It's just maybe a personal gripe. I just would love Mason Jones to be, I don't know, more of a more worried about attacking the rim than than you know complaining to the refs if it doesn't go in. So. To, to back up to a little bit, something we haven't talked about yet, like a personal rant of mine. All right, let it out. This is your rant of the week. I've lost a lot of money on Brady Manic this year. And Oklahoma had Texas dead to rights. Oh, terrible. And, and, Chris, and Christian Doolittle and Brady Manic missed free throws down the stretch. Now, listen, Brady Manic, you've cost me money against Baylor. You've cost me money against Wichita State. Like, I, I just kind of sweep it under the carpet, and I don't, I don't tweet about it. And I try not to get upset, but that was just embarrassing. That bank three by Texas after those missed free throws. And Oklahoma, and I tell everybody, what is it you're supposed to bet? 
in March Madness. You want a team that can hit its free throws. Oklahoma's 26th in the nation. They hit 76.5%. They're supposed to make these free throws. Complete breakdown by OU down at Texas. I should rant about Texas. It's unbelievable. This team can't buy a cover for me. Then all their players get hurt, and now they cannot lose a game. It's unbelievable. It's that Shaka, for some reason, refused to go to the small lineup, and now he has no choice, and it's almost like he's back to his VCU days, right? Getting up, playing defense, shooting threes. It's almost like they forced him to do what maybe he should have done all along. Like they're better without Sims somehow. Right. It's wild. I talked earlier with Sokan John, who on Twitter, if you don't follow him and you want to know about Southern Conference Soup, Sokan John 22, he knows about as much as anybody. Uh, I talked with him about the entire conference. Let's talk with him right now. From the Southern to the Summit League, the MEAC and the Missouri Valley, there are over 350 Division I programs. So let's get acquainted. This is Conference Confidential. He's at SoCon John 22 uh, That's J-O-H-N. Who better to talk to about the SoCon than a man named SoCon John? I assume, based on looking at your profile, you were an App State fan before they departed, and then you continue to follow Southern. Is that accurate? Yeah, I was a SoCon fan and an Appalachian State graduate, as you mentioned, but the, the league has changed so much since you know, I was a student at Appalachian State because when the league lost Davidson, and Georgia Southern at State and, and Elon and, and, and College of Charleston and succession in those years, there was a belief that what are we going to do now? The strength of the league was, you know, College of Charleston and Davidson, really, at that point. Who are you going to add to replace teams like that? Fortunately for the Southern Conference, East Tennessee State was still lingering out there, who had also been a former member of the SOCON, Mercer, who had, had in 2014 beaten Duke tournament. There were some teams out there that could maybe not replace the teams they lost, but at least maintain the strength of the league. When East Tennessee State came back into the league, they hired Steve Forbes up to salary to 650 a year. It almost forces the other teams in the league to be better. And the teams like Wofford Furman, UNC Greensboro became better because of East Tennessee State setting the standard. I completely agree. And let's just take a look at the bracket. We'll talk through some of these teams. This is the oldest conference tournament yeah. in the country. It's the 100th Southern Conference tournament. And maybe, just maybe, in the 100th, they will get their first ever season of multiple bids. And the way that I think the SoCon's becoming the new Valley in a way, you know, you're having these three or four teams. And I know Wofford's had a down year. But these three or four teams that consistently are right on the bubble in the conversation, and I think UNCG got snubbed last year. So I think it's only a matter of time before it happens. I think in order for it to happen this year, ETSU, I think, is net 40. They have a win at LSU. They'd have to probably get to the championship and then lose to maybe UNCG, and then we'd have a good shot of getting multiple bids. But I'll just start there. What are your thoughts on the potential to get two bids, the conference overall as it stands right now and where it's headed? Well, as a conference last year, they ranked 13th in the, the old RPI system, the highest-ranked conference to not get two bids in history. So they ranked the same this year. They're 13th in the RPI, the old RPI. You know, I don't think the field is as strong this year. Uh, if you look at the, the major conferences, I think the ACC is probably only looking at five teams. You know, if you look at teams like Furman and UNC Greensboro, 
I think those are two teams that if they won the championship against uh, in a close game against East Tennessee State, that, that East Tennessee State would still get in. They've got a win over uh, LSU, which is obviously going to be going to help them. This is a conference that has not had quad one opportunities prior to the last two years. So like Furman got a quad one win at UNCG. There's been multiple quad one opportunities within the conference, which is pretty amazing to, to think about a conference like the Southern Conference. And I don't, I don't know this is a fact, but it's been around 100 years. It's the oldest conference tournament to never have gotten an at-large bid. I don't know that you could say that for any other conference, even a mid-major conference that has not ever gotten an at-large bid. I don't know if that weighs in the favor of any of the SOCON, but I mean, UNCG's went over Georgetown, East Tennessee State's went over LSU, Furman took Auburn to overtime and, you know, might should have won that game. I think if Furman beats Auburn, you know, early in the season, I think it's a no question that this is a two-bid lead. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. But let's start at the top of the bracket, East Tennessee State. We assume that they're going to get by the winner of Sanford VMI. You know, they could have an interesting semifinal matchup against two interesting teams in Mercer, who started off, I believe, 0-3, 0-4 in, in the conference, and then really turned it on late. They even got a win at Wofford. They won, I believe, at East Tennessee State. Mercer is going to take on Western Carolina, who has, you know, they don't play much defense, but this is a team <laughs> with Faulkner. Um, you know, Stagger can shoot it. Dotson inside. It's a really good inside-out combo they they are a dangerous offense especially when they're hitting their shots what are your thoughts on the potential for an upset or is east tennessee state pretty much a shoe in for the final well very real i mean if you look at the first matchup they could have with vmi i mean they beat them by six points and in, in, at etsu five points in lexington virginia so that you're, you're talking about a team that's won three conference games and and it's been that close and and etsu's defense they played without uh, Jerome Rodriguez, who is probably their best player. And so that probably made it maybe a little bit closer up there. But if you look at ETSU, if you look at Western Carolina, which I think is really interesting, that and, and Furman's coach, Bob Ritchie, told the media that this is the hardest team to guard because of their offensive efficiency. It's like pick your poison. You know, who you are going to go guard? Is it going to be Faulkner? Is it going to be Dotson? Because Dotson has 18 double-doubles. And you got uh, Mason Faulkner, who's got two triple doubles. Triple doubles, yeah. <laughs> so I can't remember the last time that's happened in, in the Southern Conference where a guy's had two triple doubles in one season. So th- their offensive efficiency and Ken Palm ranks up there with anybody. My question on Western Carolina is their ability to defend. But, you know, one of the interesting stats to look at with them is three-pointers made and three-point efficiency. So they ranked second and three-pointers made. And first and efficiency. So that tells you they're shooting the ball at a pretty good clip and they're taking good shots from, from three point range. And I think Dotson has a lot to do with that with 18 double doubles on the season. I think 14 of them coming in conference play. That could be a dangerous matchup for ETSU. I think if they get past that, if they get to the championship and they're facing a Furman uh, or a UNC Greensboro, I like their chances for an at large bid. Yep, I, I agree. An ETSU, I mean, this team. If you just want to spend a minute talking about them, I mean, they are so deep in the backcourt. If you have a guy like Good who just went off and scored about 17 points in the final four minutes to yeah, the season finale, it was just silly. I mean, but they have so much talent in the backcourt. And then what makes them, I think, and this is looking forward a little to the NCAA tournament as well, 
they're even dangerous down low, especially if Rodriguez is healthy and ready to go. So he came back, but I think the final two games, he didn't play a ton. Is he ready to right. go? And which is what are your overall thoughts on ETSU and how good they are? Because it doesn't look like they have many weaknesses. Hey, hey. ETSU is very, very good. Um, I'm going to tell you, their most underrated player is Isaiah Tisdale, who probably is maybe the best on-ball defender in the league. And I know he didn't get defender, um, defensive player of the year. Um, that went to Isaiah Miller. You're going to take him as an on-ball, on-ball defender over Miller? Oh, yeah. Wow. He's won three games. By himself. I'll put it this way. If you take him away, um, as good as Rodriguez is, I'm not sure that if you took Tisdale away, that they would they would have the same type record they do. Interesting. I'll have, to, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, I was not aware of how important he was to the team. Um, in the bottom half, it's it's also really interesting. I mean, you have – we assume Wofford gets by lowly Citadel. I mean, Wofford as a seven seed is pretty shocking to see. I mean, it's a team that's lost, what, <laughs> yeah. six, six or seven? It's a defending champion. Defending champion playing – uh, in the first round. Went 18-0 last year. So it's Crazy. Now, they've had some bad luck, and they've lost some close games, and, you know, they've lost seven in a row to end the season. Their defense is still there. They just struggled to score consistently. They'll, they'll play, you know, we, we assume they play Furman. That's a team that they beat earlier this year, and then they lost on the road by one. <clears throat> if they right. some, somehow got by that game, they would play a UNCG team that hates to play Wofford. I mean, Wofford beat them three times last year. They beat them again this year. And then UNCG needed a crazy comeback to win in overtime this year. Do you see any way in the world where Wofford just causes chaos in the bottom half? And uh, how do you see it playing out? Well, it's crazy because you mentioned the, the Furman and the UNCG matchups, which if you look at those matchups, I guess they were, what, two and, two and uh, four in those games. Um, ETSU being the only team to sweat them in close games. But one-on-one against Furman, and, and Wofford played probably one of their best defensive games of the year and holding Furman to 52 points and a 62, 66-52 win. And then if you look at the UNCG games, they were both close. Uh, I believe both went to overtime. They've actually played the top three of the conference better than they played the middle of the conference because they're 0-6 against Mercer, Chattanooga, and Western Carolina. So that's interesting to me, and I, I think that says a lot more about the conference's overall improvement from one to six or you know one to seven than it was last year, where you could just talk about four teams. And I, I think that's a credit to Chattanooga, Mercer, and Western Carolina for for making the adjustments and and, and getting out there and recruiting guys that could compete with these these players. Having said that, when you lose the all-time three-point leader, you lose a guy like Cam Jackson, and you have a guy like Keve Aluma transfer to Virginia Tech and, and lose your coach, Mike Young, that's not going to be easy to replace. Um, but they still got good players. I think Nathan Hoover, Storm Murphy, they can cause some problems. I think the toughest game for Furman, I think, is, is the first one. If Furman can beat Wofford, they got a real chance to play East Tennessee State in the final. I think uh, that's their toughest game, though, because it's a local rivalry, and those games have been so close. And Jay McCauley used to be an assistant on the staff at Furman under Nico Medved uh, before uh, Bob Ritchie took the job there. Well, you, you said that if Furman gets by Wofford, which might not be as easy as some think, then you know you like them to get by UNC Greensboro, who obviously has to get through Chattanooga. So talk to me about the Furman-UNCG matchup. Now, because when I look at it, and Furman – I mean, it speaks to, I think, 
where this conference is headed. I did not think that they were going to be this good this year after what they lost last year. And just, I mean, they've been unbelievable. I think they set a school record for wins yes. this year. And that's what the coach said. He, he basically said that nobody thought we would match our win total from last year. Most people, and me included, <laughs> thought, you know, well, this team might win 20 games, but surely they're not going to win 25. And they bring back four starters, and sure enough, they win 25. And not only that, they win 15 conference games, which is two more than they won, I guess, last year. That makes it, you know, that more impressive, I think, on that front. Coach Richie made the point that it's easier to go from not like eight wins to like 20 than it is from going to like 20 to 25. Yep, hell of a job, by Richie. The higher you go up, the harder it is to improve marginally. You know, you mentioned UNCG. They're very good again as well. I mean, they've won 23 games, and they could very well win this weekend. You know, they've got a guy in Isaiah Miller who I think is maybe the best athlete that I've seen in the Southern Conference in a long time. You know, very high-level recruit recruited uh, player. As a defensive player as well as quickness and athleticism, I think what Furman has to do is to force UNCG into being an outside shooting team. That's been the way that ETSU has beaten them. That's been the way that, that Furman beat them late in the season. And it's like Wes Miller said, Furman was a different defensive team in February than they were in January, This the same team. So I think that's what it's going to come down to this weekend. And I think ETSU is very good. 16 of their 18 conference games, they've held a, an opponent to less than 70 points. Um, yeah, I mean, the one thing with UNCG, I mean, what scares me about them, they lost their last two games of the year to Furman and Chattanooga, who they'd have to beat most likely to get to be like a revenge tour yeah Yeah, revenge (laughs) tour and then they'd have to play east tennessee state who they lost to twice this year with uncg though what scares me about them is their offense at times feels like it's just so reliant on isaiah miller's a hell of an athlete and hell of a player it's so reliant on miller can go through droughts and then they can't shoot free throws at all which is a major issue 62.6 62.6 percent um, yeah they're, they're bad yeah and uh, i mean miller is 54 percent and dickie who gets to the line he's 50 percent and hunter's 65 it's just bad all around their best players who were getting to the line can't shoot free throws and then you know i look at a matchup with Furman, and you know uncg what they're known for is their pressure style defense under west miller Furman, as you said they've been playing better defense and Furman also takes care of the ball uh, which is really important against UNCG. The only thing that worries me about Furman, you know, is that they don't have much they don't have much depth. So is that a concern for trying to win three games in three days? Well, Any I thoughts? would say that. you're right. You're right. I, I think I would say that for most teams, but they played with you know basically seven players. Seven, as Coach Bob Ritchie says, the whole year seven starters, um, and so they've had to try to introduce that and. I think one of the things that helps them is that the one of those seven guys is Trey Clark, who comes off the bench, and he's not a big offensive guy, but he's uh, – I don't know if you remember a guy who used to play for Charleston, and he was called the Steph Curry stopper, Antoine Wiggins. Oh, yeah. Uh, who he He's kind of like that guy. He's long, he, he bothered shots, and he rebounds, and, and he, he's got energy. And you need a guy like that, I think, to win in big moments. He's not necessarily a scorer. So Furman probably has six or scores plus him. And he's, the, you know, one of the better defenders in the league, but he doesn't even start. So it's it's kind of crazy to st- say that. But I, I think you look at another guy like Mike Bothwell, um, who's come off the bench 
And he's been incredible, really, um, since the Chattanooga game where he scored 27 points um, down the stretch. I don't know how many he scored in double figures, but I think it was like 13 or 14 straight before he, he did not score in double figures. So he's he's been a guy that, that's really stepped up. And maybe if there was an award for a sixth player of the year or, or a guy that, you know, was the most improved, it would be for him. But, um, you know, I think I think – I think Furman's gotten used to that. Uh, normally, I wouldn't say that, that you could have seven guys that, that could could win. But when you have six guys that can score on any given night when another one's not scoring, that makes you tough. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's get to your predictions here for fun. Uh, who are you calling? Who who wins it and who, uh, who do they beat in the final? Well, I'm going to be a traditionalist here and say that that East Tennessee State probably wins the tournament, um, and and Furman probably is the the runner up, uh, you know, in a one two conference championship game. But um, I think it's a very close game. Um, I think it's somewhere in the seventies. I think a seventy eight seventy five ETSU win in the in the championship game over Furman. Um, but I think you know. If there was a scenario where ETSU were to lose to a UNCG or a Furman, they should be in. Um, uh, you know, I don't think there's any question uh, about that because the net rankings didn't really make sense last year when they had UNCG out of it and Furman, which would have ranked within the top 68 of that net ranking. And that was told – that was, you know, the, the thing that was going to keep – you know, mid-majors in it. And that was the, the, the ranking system to keep mid-majors in it because it, it really is unfair to, um, to penalize mid-majors when major teams won't, won't schedule them in the non-con. You're holding them to an unfair standard if you're not going to use the net ranking at all. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. Two questions before uh, I let you go and appreciate your time here. Uh, we, did, we haven't mentioned Chattanooga. They actually have the number one adjusted offensive efficiency in conference play. They also don't turn it over. They have the lowest turnover rate in conference play. You know, the defense is uh, iffy. But they ju- did just beat UNCG at home, mm-hmm. and they do it again. Absolutely. I think what Lamont Paris has done is has been one of the, the best jobs of any coach in the nation. I mean, most people won't look at that, but if you look at Mark Prosser at Western Carolina too, they're improved by 11 wins, I think, um, over what they what they were last year. But um, adding a top 150 player like Matt Ryan from, uh, who's played at Notre Dame, who's played at Vanderbilt, has made a huge difference. And then you get a a Stefan Kinich from uh, from uh, Cleveland State that's a very good player, and then Ramon Vila, who, who was a, a Arizona State transfer uh, last year, but has really been one of the more improved players in the SoCon this year. I think that's that has been a great mix, and then you you throw in a guy like I, I think um, uh, John Baptiste, their guard is one is a very underrated player. I think he does a great job and what he's asked to do. He's a member of the Haitian national team. And so this is a team to watch, I think, in Asheville. And I would add to that, I, you know, that Mercer uh, Western Carolina game is going to be exciting. I mean, uh, Dmitrievich and Ethan Stair, I mean, just think about if they'd have had their all-conference player this year, Ross Cummings, who, who had a back injury, and had to, to take a redshirt. 
and they still finished fourth under first-year head coach Greg Gary. I mean, it's an incredible job he's done uh, since coming over from uh, from the Purdue staff. Yep, that that one's probably going to be close to. I would imagine the line will be close to a pickup. Who do you, who do you favor? Do you have to pick one to advance in that Mercer Western Carolina game? I'm going to pick Western Carolina because I think that just offensively they're they're good enough to win at least one game in Asheville. That's a tough matchup when you have to pick your poison between Mason Faulkner and Carlos Dotson. That that depends on if Dotson can stay out of foul trouble because the only thing that limits him is foul trouble and, and his minutes on the floor. But if he's able to, to be on the game, I would take them in a close one. Fair enough. If we'll, we'll assume that East Tennessee State, if they do win the tournament, when they get into the bracket, is there a certain team that you wouldn't want them to face? That, that w- A team that would give them, you know, with a certain strength or do they match up pretty well regardless of who you think they'll face? Well, I think a, a team like a, a Wisconsin would not be a good matchup for East Tennessee State. If they're going to match up with another athletic team, and I'm not, I'm not saying that Wisconsin does not have athletes. I'm just saying the style of play is different than what, what you'd see normally in the Southern Conference. The Big Ten teams normally are. They're not as fast-paced. They're more half-court. So I think a team like Wisconsin would cause problems, but I think if they get a team that wants to, to run, I think that's a recipe for, for an upset. Yep, which is why if you saw earlier in the year when LSU, you know, a team that yeah. kind of fits that profile lost at home by double digits to ETSU. So like a team like LSU, I think would be a perfect matchup. John, I appreciate your time. Uh, if you want to check out John on Twitter and uh, anything SoCon related, especially during the tournament this weekend, he's at SoConJohn22. Uh, that's J-O-H-N. So appreciate your time and uh, thanks for catching up with us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always a blast to talk college hoops and thanks. Appreciate Cheers, it. Brother. Yeah, so John shared a, a lot of knowledge. Basically, my thoughts on the Southern Conference are, you know, East Tennessee is really good and really complete and they just have such an easier, they're about even odds to win and get to March. And if they don't, they get to the conference finals, they probably will get an at-large bid. Uh, who knows if the Southern could get snubbed uh, again, like UNCG did last year. You know, the UNCG is interesting, as I talked about with John. So I think the bottom half is pretty wide open. I would agree with John. It's probably Furman that ends up coming out of there. But you have to favor ETSU to cut down the nets. They are just so deep. And especially if they get Rodriguez back, who's come back the last two games, played a little bit of minutes. But I think they're the all-around most complete team. Uh, I don't think that there's a ton of value at plus 100. But what are you guys seeing in the SoCon? Anything catching your eye, Randall? I'll start with you. Yeah, you nailed it. My favorite sleeper is Western Carolina. Best three-point shooting team in the conference, 37.1% in SOCOM play. Defense isn't great, but they are solid against the three. They're top 60th in defensive rebounding. They won on the road and lost to East Tennessee State by one point on the road last week. If you want to pick them apart, the problem is they haven't beaten East Tennessee State, Furman, UNCG. They're 0-6 against them, but they were all close games. It's hard to see them beating two of those three in consecutive games, but I think they're worth a look. The other one that I was looking at as a sleeper is Chattanooga. The problem with Chattanooga, all the things you said are true. Top defensive three-point team. They hold conference opponents down. They shoot the three well. They've won three of four. Problem is they have to beat UNCG, 
then probably Furman, then East Tennessee State. So they actually have the hardest road because they'd have to win all three. I like Furman better than East Tennessee State because of the odds. Furman's 15-3. and They were just one game behind them. They did lose at Auburn earlier in the year when Auburn was playing really well in OT. They're always in the mix. Interesting thing about Furman, guys, they have not won the Southern Conference tournament in 40 years since 1980. So sort of the sentimental favorite. I like them because I think they have better odds there than East Tennessee State. Colin, what do you see here? Yeah, East Tennessee State should be plus one hundred and five odds. I mean, this is this is being played in a in a Harris Cherokee bingo hall about an hour from campus. They're the best in the conference. Uh, they've earned the top seed here. I think the thing that kind of shocked me when I first looked at the odds is Mercer's fifty to one. I mean, I can understand being a twelve to one or a sixty one, but Mercer's fifty to one, and they're up in that bracket with East Tennessee State, and they've beaten East Tennessee State earlier this year on their home court, seventy one to fifty five. Now, holding home court, holding serve just doesn't mean anything in this conference. They're 31st, I think, out of all 32 conferences and as far as defending home court. Uh, and when you look at the bottom half of the brackets, I, I mean, Mercer, I think, is worth some lunch money at 50-1. to 1. That seems a little outrageous for somebody that's beaten East Tennessee State before. And you know what? Mercer's won five of their last six. They're the best team in the conference in effective field goal percentage on defense. And East Tennessee State gets all of the points in two-point territory where Mercer's defense is number one. So I'm not saying Mercer's going to beat them and they're going to they're win the conference tournament or anything, but I'm saying 50-1 to one is like way too high, way too high for a team that's beaten them before. On the bottom half of the bracket, I, I may be the only one that likes UNC, Green, UNC Greensboro. Uh, plus 445, uh, I think, believe is what's listed out at Circa right now. They're on a revenge tour here. They just lost to Chattanooga. They just lost to Furman. Uh, those last two teams that beat them, so they're going to have to run through those two. You know, Furman won by 14 on UNCG's home court. So, uh, you know, I think odds-wise, they may present – they have the best player in Isaiah Miller, uh, you know, in the entire conference. So, I mean, they can make a run here. It's kind of a mess down at the bottom of the bracket, but I, I still think – you know, I would still go with UNC Greensboro to come out of the bottom. Uh, and I think Mercer at 50-1 to 1 deserves, I don't know, a, a KFC – Family meal? I mean, something. I mean, good Lord, 50-1 to 1 is way too much for a team that's proved it and it's on a winning streak. Yeah, they started off 0-4 and, and got really hot. All right, let's move on to the Colonial, which starts on Saturday. This will be, you know, in years past, it's been in Charleston, which has been South Charleston, I should say, a semi-advantage for College of Charleston. But this will be in Washington, D.C. You know, the top six seeds get a buy into the quarters, which are on Sunday. Uh, Drexel, UNCW, Elon, and JMU – We'll play in the first round. I think you can cross all those teams out who would have to win four games in four days. So I think then it comes down to one of the top six seeds. You know, Hofstra is the top seed. It's a team that is very guard-oriented. They'll play a lot of zone. They are vulnerable inside. You know, there's, this is a conference that has a lot of really good senior leaders um, on each team. You have you know, Nathan Knight at William & Mary, he can just get buckets. You have Grant Ryler, the senior at Charleston. Charleston's had such a disappointing year. Jordan Rowland at Northeastern, Bowie at Hofstra. And then Delaware has been an interesting team this year. You know, I think that they've, uh, you know, they lost, a, they lost twice to Charleston, which is worth noting because they'll play them in the first round. You know, but this is a team that beat Hofstra on the road. Uh, it's a team that, you know, has, has beat pretty much everyone else in the conference except William & Mary and Charleston. But they've had a couple transfers that are playing really well for them this year. And uh, they've been they, – they were really kind to me. But Nate Darling, a UAB transfer, um, has been really good for them. And then uh, Dylan Painter, kid from Hershey, a Villanova transfer, who was eligible late December. He's been playing really well for them as well. So they're an interesting team. This just looks like one big clusterfuck to me. I don't know if I'll have any futures 
here in the CA, which looks completely wide open. Do you guys see it any different? Uh, Randall, I'll start with you. You know, I'm excited to get plus odds on a regular season champion in Hofstra. They're very enticing. They're the top seed. They've been road warriors. They're 8-1 and one in the conference on the road. They are the best cover team in college basketball. They're tied with North Florida, 22-8, and 73%. 8-1 and one against the spread on the road as well in CAA play. They're 11-4 and four overall. Uh, head coach Joe Mihalik, he openly said, guys, that they were super disappointed last year. I got a chance to interview him. He was really fired up. They were so upset that they lost to Northeastern and did not make the tournament. They are on a mission. So to get plus odds for them, I think, is pretty good. William & Mary, guys, plus 500. Dane Fisher took over right after Tony Shaver was fired in June. They have the fifth best odds despite getting the two seed, and they've never made the NCAA tournament, William & Mary. They've won five in a row. They did beat Hofstra away by 27, which was a great – Great game. You talked about it, Stuck. Nathan Knight and the seven-footer Van Vlight, they are double-double machines, and both of them can step out. Don't sleep on Townsend. Townsend's a third seed. They won five of six. They're 12-4 and four against the spread in their last 16. They have that dangerous backcourt if you're a guard person there. Brian Fobb, 16 points, five rebounds. And then Allen Beatran, 14 points. Both guys can shoot the three as well. They're slow and deliberate, but 80% from the line of free throw shooting in CEA play, so that's a big deal. So, uh, listen, Grant Riller's fantastic, and, and Charleston has a puncher's chance, but he's going to have to really have a huge, huge tournament because he's 21 points per game, and only one of the guys Brevin Galloway is in double digits. So I kind of like those top teams. The best odds, William and Mary. But listen, you can't go wrong with Hofstra. I know the odds aren't great, but they are plus odds. And here's a team that's on a mission to get to that tournament. Yeah, I mean, the one good thing that Hofstra has going for it is, you know, like Charleston's not a great rebounding team. Delaware is not a great rebounding team. And you would assume that Hofstra is going to get through the winner of Drexel and UNC Wilmington. So they would play the winner of Charleston, Delaware. You know, the team that, you know, that would be scary to them is Towson, who just attacks the offensive glass as well as any team in the nation. And Towson's on the bottom half of the bracket. In order for Hofstra to face Towson, you know, Towson would have to beat Northeastern and then presumably William & Mary. Because, the re- I mean, Towson just beat Hofstra 76-65 at Hofstra. In that game, Towson out-rebounded Hofstra 49-26. to So that's probably one of the worst matchups for Hofstra, you know, who's very guard reliant, uh, a very guard reliant team and is vulnerable on the glass, which Hofstra can take advantage, especially on the offensive end. Uh, Colin, what are you seeing in the CAA? Well, I'll start with Towson. I don't think they get out of the first round. They just struggled with Northeastern on Sunday, and now they get they, they get them to start the tournament. And I like Northeastern to cover that game and and possibly win. But in my opinion, it's that's only a two team conference that, that, that could possibly win this thing and that's Hofstra and William and Mary they're the most experienced two teams in the entire conference William and Mary is in the top 50 in the country Hofstra is the seventh most experienced roster in all of division one uh, Hofstra was 11 and four against the spread on the road this season I mean they were one of the best teams at playing away from home uh, they I mean I think they haven't you know lost a game in since January, uh, that was to Towson, but I don't think Towson's going to make it that far. William and Mary, I'm seeing an eight to one out in Vegas right now, and to me, that just presents a ton of value. They recently won by ten at Towson. They split the season series with Hofstra, so I think a half a unit on Hofstra if you can find them three to one. A half unit on what Vegas is offering, uh, eight to one on on William and Mary. I think you just lay those two half units and wash your hands, and and, and hopefully that's the final, which it should be. Yeah, I'm leaning towards William and Mary as of now, just because of the, their. You know, I think Hofstra is likely going to get to the finals. Um, but William and Mary, if they can get by the winner of Towson and Northeastern, they have a lot of height, and that can give uh, Hofstra problems, especially in a tight 
conference final game with Nathan Knight, 6'10 senior, Van Vliet, a 7-foot senior. Um, this team has a lot of height. They are 22nd in the nation um, on the defensive glass. So, you know, Hofstra's going to get no second-chance points at all. Um, they did split the season series. Hofstra won on the road. As Mike alluded to, they've been great on the road all year, especially against the spread. Randall, throwing it to you. You, you, trust, you ultimately trust Hofstra, their coach, their mission, Bowie, Pemberton, Ray, and those guards. Is that right? Bowie, Pemberton, great coach, and has shown out on the road. I'm going to call them a little Kansas. I'm going to call them mini Kansas because the profile is very, very similar amongst their conference as Kansas is. I agree. The, the one other one I'm looking at, if you want to get some value, is William & Mary, but I'm sticking with Hofstra. Yeah, Hofstra shooting close to 40% uh, from three in conference play. They have excellent guards, and that is the one area of weakness at William & Mary. So basically, I mean, William & Mary doesn't defend the three well, so it's really going to come down to is Hofstra hitting their threes? If they are, they probably win. If they aren't, they're going to get no second chance points, and William & Mary will go dancing for the first time in school history. And we say it every year, the teams to never make the NCAA tournament. You have William & Mary, Army, so they actually made the tournament in 1968, Army, but they turned down the invitation to play in the NIT because they would have a better shot at winning the NIT, which was more prestigious then because UCLA was in the 68 dirty. And you know who the coach who turned it down was of Army then? Bobby Knight. St. Francis, New York. St. Don't Francis. say Chicago State. What a, tell me Chicago State has made it. Like Northwestern made it. These are original Division One teams that haven't okay. made it. So Chicago said, yeah, I don't think they're ever going to make it. They're not even traveling the games now. <laughs> Brooklyn, William & Mary, the Citadel. Oof, man, they're a mess. And then it was Northwestern. Um, Elon, has Elon gotten in? Elon never got in, did they? No, Elon's never made it, but they're, they're a newer Division One team. They were in, in Division Two and made the tournament back in, like, the 90s and stuff. So they're not an original D1 team. So there's your, those are your – that's your trivia for the day. William & Mary, Citadel, Army, and St. Francis, New York. All right. You know, let's talk some some fun belt. Uh, I'm biased here, and I've loved South Alabama all year. I've been way higher than them on the market all year. I've been betting them all year. They have finally turned it on. They've won eight straight to get the two seed and get that triple by. They're the second most experienced team in the country. They have all seniors. And I think there's four starting seniors, and then you have Andre Fox, who's, who's really coming on and comes off the bench. I mean, you have Ajayi inside, who's just a monster. This team, they run a lot of zone which is why they match up well with Texas State, who can't shoot the three well. Now, if someone's having a red-hot day from three, they are vulnerable. But I'm sticking with my preseason prediction, my midseason prediction. Uh, I'm rolling with uh, South Alabama, who the one team that can give them issues is Georgia State, who beat them twice this year, shoots – the three extremely well, about 36% second in the conference. They're about close to 37% for the year, um, which is top 40 in the nation. So it's not a great matchup for South Alabama, but Georgia State's in the top half. They get a bye to the quarters. If they beat presumably Georgia Southern, then Georgia State would have to beat Georgia Southern and then Little Rock, the top seed, just to get to South Alabama. South Alabama is probably going to play Texas State again. I really like Texas State, but it's just a great matchup for South Alabama because Texas State does look they are excellent defensively they don't turn the ball over they shoot it really well from the line but they can't shoot from the outside they are 31 in change percent for the season and in conference play 
And against that South Alabama zone, that's just not going to get it done. Um, They also foul a lot, which plays right into the hands of South Alabama. So I think South Alabama is going to get to the final, beat Texas State again. It'll be a close game. And then they are going to beat, uh, I'm going to say Little Rock. Uh, What are you guys seeing in the belt? Lockstep with you, Stuck, with South Alabama. I think Little Rock is a paper tiger. I think they're one of the weakest top-seeded teams in their conference play. They've gone three and three in the last six. They have three road losses. They're not good on defense. They don't defend the three well, and they turn the ball over a lot. They're very, very young. They're going to be dangerous next year, but don't like Little Rock at all. Texas State, fine. I, I like them better than Little Rock, who, who they beat this year. They're second in the Sun Belt in offensive and defensive efficiency. They do limit turnovers, but it's all Nigel Pearson for them. 19 points, 5.4 rebounds. He's had double-digit scoring in all but two games, but he's the only guy on the team that hits double figures. So I'm with you on South Alabama. They are the two seed, eight wins in a row. They beat Little Rock away, Texas State at home. They're a slow-paced team in in the fun belt, best at forcing turnovers, no boards, but they are, as you said, second most experienced team in the nation, 2.6 years of experience per player versatile in offense. They got four guys in double figures and they needed the rest. They're going to have 14 days off because Josh Ajayi, 14 points, eight boards, has been slowed by that ankle injury. Last three games for him, two, zero, and four points. I understand the Georgia State thing. I just don't buy it. I think they're bizarre. They are excellent from three, but they lost to Troy twice. They have four players in double figures. They all shoot it well. Uh, Sophomore Justin Roberts, he's at 41%. He's incredible, but they had lost three straight Then they beat Little Rock at home by 19 to end the regular season. They're sort of a maddening team. Uh, They could make a run or they could get knocked out right away. Uh, They could have a rivalry game there with Georgia Southern. So they're very talented. On paper, they are probably the most talented team, but I just don't see it. Only other thing I'll mention, guys, of course, Arkansas State. They're the nine seed, but they're one of the best cover teams in the country at 19 and 10. They've slowed down of late, but they're a real good cover team if you want to make some money there early. But I am with Stuck. I think it's South Alabama. They've played well all year, and I think they're the most balanced. Yeah, you're right. Georgia State is so bizarre. Tough team to figure out. Colin, what do you say? First off, I'd like to say, if you haven't Googled the Sun Belt bracket, look it up. Because this conference schedule, this conference tournament is a joke. Have you ever heard of a WWE gauntlet-style match? Let me tell you what a WWE gauntlet-style match is. They put two guys in the ring, and every time you beat somebody, somebody new and fresh from the back comes out to beat your ass. All right? So eventually, if you're going to win this gauntlet-style match, you have to go through five fresh guys. That's the Sun Belt Tournament. If you're Arkansas State or if you're Coastal Carolina, you're, you have to go through three road games before you get to go play in a semifinal game against a fresh team in New Orleans. If you're Coastal, you got to go to UT Arlington, then App State, then Texas State, then you go to New Orleans, and you have to face South Alabama and, and Little Rock. I mean, it's impossible for anybody not going to New Orleans to win this thing, in my opinion. So from a betting perspective – the guys are right. South Alabama, Little Rock. I'm seeing three to one on Little Rock. I'm seeing four to one on South Alabama. Little Rock has the highest luck rate of any team in the conference. The guys are completely right. Paper Tiger, uh, they have the highest luck rate. South Alabama, they're on an eight-game winning streak. Uh, if you look at their advanced analytics from the entire season, I don't think it's really caught up. They're fifth in offensive and defensive efficiency. So what they've been able to do isn't really how hot the team is right now. But this entire conference tournament is a joke. The bracket is a joke. It's the ugliest thing on paper. They're getting rid of it next year. They're going to a standard, everybody fly into one spot uh, and play in, and play in one spot over a number of days. But it's just, <laughs> it's a joke. This bracket is a joke. I, I can't wait a hundred years from now. People will Google and say, I can't believe they played it that way. All right, let's move on to the weekend. And uh, let's start with Friday Night Lights. 
Why let football have all the fun? Let's bet Friday Night Lights. We're going to have, you know, we'll obviously have stuff on tomorrow's game. Some of them aren't. We don't have some of them yet because of while we're recording this, some of the games aren't over. But as of now, what's out there, what's projected to be out there, what do you have circled for Friday, Randall? NC State, Wake Forest. I think this is a big NC State win at home. They've won four or five at home. They had the big wins over Clemson and Duke, so they usually show up. First meeting between these teams back on December 7th, we'll pack one ninety-one eighty-two. So I have to take the over as well, especially with Wake Forest, right? You saw it again against North Carolina. If they are down, they're going to start fouling with like two or three minutes left. So the over is a solid play here. Wake is 19-8-2 to the over. Four overs in a row for the Demon Deacons by a combined 118 points. So, like NC State to show up here, get a solid win that they need to end a regular season, and I like the over. Richmond has a double bye locked up in the A-10 going up against Duquesne, uh, who needs the win at home and a St. Louis loss to get the Bonnies Saturday for the double bye. If Duquesne loses, the Bonnies could play for a double bye seed on Saturday. So it's sort of a two-parter here where, you know, Duquesne really needs that win. And if they lose, look for a very motivated Bonnies team on Saturday. Fair enough. I'll mention two. Uh, Missouri State, who I took a flyer on to win the Valley, uh, this is a preseason favorite. They've kind of sputtered all year, but they've figured some things out of late. Sands a game against Valpo. You know, they've they had a, a change in their starting lineup. You know, they implemented Owens, kind of like a glue guy, and he's really helped with their energy. They got Muhammad back the other day at 15. It's a really deep team. They have a ton of size with Prim, uh, De Silva, and West. You know, Keandre Cook can come in and, and get buckets for them. And, you know, I think they match up really well with Indiana State, who has the guards. They come in really hot as well. But I think I think Missouri State can control the glass. I think for a weekend, for them to put it together, um, this team with all of this potential, I like them tomorrow. Uh, also, I'll mention Boise State, you know, against San Diego State. I think San Diego State here is starting to fade. I mean, you're, start, you're starting to see some cracks in the armor you know, they came back against Nevada. They came back against Air Force. You know, I, I, they really need Mensa back, but it's not a deep team. Right now, they're going to be playing back-to-back days. It's something to keep in mind the rest of the tournament as well. But I think Boise State, who, look, Boise State had eight days off before their game today against UNLV. You know, I think that they're going to be a live dog here uh, against San Diego State. You know, they lost by 17 and 18 to San Diego State in this, during the season, which makes it a little scary. Uh, any thoughts on either of those, Randall? Yeah, I'm with you. San Diego State, not the team that I'm hopping on right now. That was a bad game against Air Force today. They don't play defense. They were hitting threes late. They needed to be rescued again. How many times can you be rescued late in a row? They came back against Colorado State. Malachi Flynn went bananas against Nevada. And then today they pulled it out as well. So absolutely, Boise has the length. Jessup was hot today. That is a bad matchup. San Diego State, I do not think is winning this tournament. And I wouldn't be surprised they lose to Boise State. If anything, play a first half money line on Boise because I mean, like, I mean, they have to be San Diego State has to be rescued every single game. And I think maybe playing first halves opponents uh, against them is probably going to be a money winner from here on out. Last one I have Davidson VCU. VCU is banged up and they've been bleeding here coming down the stretch. Lost away at Rhode Island by 12, then lost away at Richmond by 18, then lost away at St. Louis by 18, then lost to UMass away by eight. Wildcats are 7-1 at home this year, and listen to their win spreads at home the last few few games. They have won by 35-30, two points in OT over Rhodey, and then 25. 
37% from three for Davidson. I think they roll here. I think the market still values VCU for some reason and ignores the fact they've lost six to seven. Davidson and home has been pretty solid. They've been playing better, even though it's been a disappointing year. So I like them here. Right now, they're giving three and a half. I could see it even dropping further. I like the Wildcats a lot. All right, let's move on to Saturday. So many games, so little time. Let's look at the Saturday slate. I have a couple big revenge spots here. Ole Miss isn't playing for anything. I've been betting them a lot this year, but I, I think the market's finally caught up. They embarrassed Mississippi State. They went on like a 50 to 20 run or something. I mean, it was absolutely insane. I think Tyree had like 40 or something, and they won by 35. Miss State, who needs this game, last home game of the year, in-state rival against Ole Miss. Uh, I think that they might end up blowing them out here. And then I'll also mention Purdue. You know, we know how good Purdue has been at home. Their season finale against Rutgers. They went to Rutgers earlier this year and, you know, they lost 70 to 63, but it was kind of, it was, you know, the, the largest lead, they were up down 17, 18 at one point. Rutgers has pretty much clinched their attorney spot with that win over Maryland. Um, you know, their last two home games, they lost at Wisconsin. They lost at Penn State. They lost at Ohio State. They lost at Maryland. They lost at a neutral to Michigan. They lost at Iowa. They lost at Illinois. You know where their last uh, win away from home was? Rutgers was all the way back on January 3rd against Nebraska. And that is the only game that Rutgers has won away from home all year. All year. Neutral or road. So I'll be looking at Purdue. What what are you looking at for Saturday, Randall? Uh, Villanova, folks, is rolling. They beat Seton Hall. They're very solid. I have no idea of the status of McClung or Yurtseven for Georgetown, but this is going to be, according to Ken Palm, a pretty low line. Villanova is rolling. I trust the coach. I trust the backcourt. They have so many weapons. Georgetown gave it a roll against Creighton there, but they just can't stop the three, which is a bad spot here against Nova. So depending on the line, if it's small, I'm going to look at Nova here. I think Georgetown, Patrick Ewing's done a really good job. They just don't have a lot of scholarship players, and they're tired. Yeah, it's amazing what's happened to that roster. Colin? Wisconsin cannot fall out of the top four for a Big Ten double bye. Uh, I'm not sure how motivated they are in this game against Indiana. Indiana is desperate for a win, desperate for any signs of life in their in their season, try to make the tournament. Uh, and, you know, if they want to move up from an 11 seed and stay out of the first round and get a day off in the tournament. So, uh, I think, you know, this is a spot where you would want to take Indiana just because they're the team that needs it the most. Yeah, I've loved Wisconsin, but the – Everyone is starting to love Wisconsin, and uh, you might get some value here on Indiana uh, at home. And Indiana at home, you know, they lost to Purdue and Maryland, but then they've won three straight at home uh, over Penn State, Iowa, Minnesota. It is uh, – it'll be senior day for uh, Devontae Green um, and Deron Davis. So, it, you know, senior day and senior night, it can, I, it can work – to your advantage with all the emotion, but it also can work against you. So don't just say, oh, it's senior night with, for these seniors and let me play them. You have to look at, on a, you know, on a, on a one-off basis. Um, but I agree with you there. I, ha- I have Indiana circled as well. Um, look, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I might have Oklahoma State circled. Uh, they've been playing good ball, but, I mean, this Texas, I, I, can they really keep this up? I don't know. We might get some value on Oklahoma State at Texas after everyone has fallen in love. So now if I bet against Texas, you know that they're, they're money. They've won five straight here. But, you know, if we can get like six, anything over five, um, I think it might be a good spot to go and fade Texas. But I haven't had a read on Texas all year. So what the fuck do I know? Randall, what else you got? 
market's going to overreact to the Kentucky second half against Tennessee. They still won 12 of 13. They actually shoot great from three on the road. They shoot a lot better than they do at home. They were playing great in Tennessee first half, up 11, then they self-destructed there. They are actually up 17 at one point. I'm sure the line's going to be like Florida giving three or something like that. No problem. I'll, I'll bank on Calipari, have it going. Then they have a two-game losing streak going into the SEC tournament. So I'll take Kentucky probably as an underdog uh, at Florida. I love that Sucky just can't put Texas down. It, it's just amazing. <laughs> they are not a simple team, people. They are the so opposite I, of a simple team. They are so complex. I mean, they just lose all their starters and get better. And they, just need, they just need Brady Manick and uh, Christian Doolittle to miss some free throws. I want to pivot out west and talk about what's going on in the Pac-12 because UCLA is making a huge push to win the outright uh, regular season title in the Pac-12. If they win early in the day, which they should, the pressure is all on Oregon hosting Stanford uh, for the Pac-12 regular season championship. Uh, Stanford is a team that's extremely young, putting it all together, and they're going to give Oregon a heck of a game. I know I'll be on Stanford in that game. Similarly, USC is going to have a max effort game to try and secure a first-round bye, maybe. Colorado tips 45 minutes before at Utah, before USC plays, Colorado, the team that USC is fighting with to get a first round by is going to play 45 minutes before Colorado holds the tiebreaker over USC for the fourth seed in the first round. So what does all this mean? USC may already know by the time Colorado hits half or Colorado hits second half, USC may already know if they even have a shot at hitting the fourth seed. All right. So USC is an absolute second-half bet if Utah is able to pull it out against Colorado because that opens up the door for USC to get in as a, as a first-round uh, first buy in the Pac-12 tournament. What the, another thing that I'll mention is Arch Madness unders. They've been like 66%, 67% over the last 15 years. Maybe the market will catch up. Uh, I think that the, the Bradley game tomorrow uh, opened up a tad high at 127, but it's something to keep in mind. Those, games just, those tourney games grind to a halt, just absolutely putrid. So keep that in mind. Everybody yeah. should know that line's going to move too. Like the, we we did this last year, and we talked about how just the sight lines of where they play the first half and the full game unders were going to open and they were going to move and they were going to be ridiculous numbers. And last year it was like it was like a bolt of lightning the second that the, the number opens for first half and full game, it's going to be on the move down. So if you're one of those day trader hedger kind of guys, if you can get an opening number, it's more than likely going to be moving down in games like Bradley and Northern Iowa, uh, which we should have set up a nice middle at least two three point maybe even more for a middle on first halves and football games yeah that's just a stress like that just I had to hammer home the point that getting the best number matters so i remember last year in the first round or first couple of rounds like a bunch of the totals lost by a half point on the close mm-hmm. that's the most important thing in betting get the best number so good point there uh, you know west virginia we're gonna maybe get them as a dog at home which is you always have to look at they have enormous or get revenge against baylor who's who's uh, you just banged up. They've been resting guys. Uh, you know, it was, and they were absolutely embarrassed against Baylor. I mean, they couldn't even bring the ball up the court when they played earlier this year. They ended up losing 70 to 59, but they were down 53 to 25 with 10 minutes to go in that game. You know, they shot six of 18 from three, and so did Baylor. And then Baylor shot 60% overall. West Virginia shot 35%. Look, I still hate this offense, but just the spot. And whenever you get West Virginia, it was one of the best home court advantages in college basketball for my eyes. Um, I think I have them at like four and a half points. You have to look at them as a home dog in this revenge spot. 
It's ugly, um, but they're not they're, the only ones either, right? I mean, Kansas is going to play Texas Tech. What is the give a shit level for both Baylor and Kansas when they've locked up their first round seeds in the conference tournament against at West Virginia at Texas Tech? I just I'm not sure how into it those two top teams are going to be. They'll both be motivated because Kansas wants to win another regular season and they can win it outright. And Baylor can actually win a share of the Big Twelve title. Uh, Randall, anything else for Saturday? Well, guys, what were you doing in 2016? Because that's the last time that Yale beat Harvard in the regular season. So uh, Bryce Aiken, maybe he's going to pull a Willis Reed. I have no idea. Either way, I got burned with him before. Harvard's home. I'm going to take Harvard again. Death taxes and taking Harvard against Yale. Uh, Colin, do you have anything else for Saturday? Yeah, one more. SMU cannot win on the road in conference. There's one conference road win in, in AAC play. Uh, lost at Central Florida after coming back from a 22-point deficit. Uh, gave up the win there. Uh, they're at South Florida after, uh, you know, they <laughs> just blowing it uh, in Orlando. I don't even know if they made the trip back to SMU, but what I do know is is the American uh, Athletic Conference tournament is going to be played in Fort Worth. I don't know if that 30-mile drive is going to be too much for them. Uh, but you know, they're having problems winning on the road. And I think South Florida, that that's another spot circled for me. And then we'll see what SMU can do in the conference tournament with, you know, being able to sleep in their own beds at night. Uh, Brando, do you have anything else for Saturday? That's it. All right. Thanks for joining me, Colin and Randall as always. And thanks again to SoCon John. Uh, we'll have much more content on actionnetwork.com and the action network app on the conference tournaments and just overall action tomorrow throughout the weekend and throughout March. Like I said before, we'll have podcast previews for the major conference tournaments. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Enjoy March, cherish it, because those Saturday afternoons when baseball doesn't tip until you know mid-afternoon, they're going to be here before you know it. I can't wait for each and every time slot. Uh, so let's win some money and uh, close out the year strong. Um, rate, review, subscribe, unsubscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll catch y'all later. Cheers. He's out. Bring it. We're finished talking.